and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what aged like milk. I'm Izzy. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Kit. I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall related things at Abbey Archives on Twitter. Kit, would you like to complain? <laughs> we we are going to have a very interesting energy for this podcast today because, like, every like reading this last last uh, quarter, it, the book is in three parts. Is that a quarter? It's not really a quarter. This last triad of the book was like it's about it was hard. A like third every time of I'd the si- book, yeah, last third of the book. Thank you. It was hard. Like every time I'd sit down to do it, my brain was just like, I don't want to. It's like, but you, but you like how this is written. My brain's like, yes, but I don't care. It's like, it's such a, this book is such a conundrum. Cause when I, it is actually, a really weird book. Yeah. Cause like when you're reading it, it's like, there's, there's good writing here. I am entertained, but like actually sitting down to read it, your brain's just like, eh. yeah, <laughs> like, I usually like, usually it's me who procrastinates on this. Kit didn't finish writing this until what like uh late thursday midway through friday um it was uh about four o'clock four p.m on friday because i finished it i sped ran through the last little bit of it um before work because it was like i don't want to do this after work today just get it done um oh yeah sorry for the clap there uh just get it done get it over with and again it's like when i'm there's parts of when i'm reading it that i am kind of enjoying the writing and, like, there's characters that I do really enjoy in this book. But this is not a book that I enjoy reading. It's not a book that I would pick up and just read because I wanted to. Which is weird because, like, I like Slagar. I like a lot of the parents. Like, again, like, I feel like what we said last time. There's just too much going on. So I can't really get attached to one specific thing to bring me back. Because, like, as soon yeah. as I start getting into that one specific part that I enjoy, we get the cut to another part. And that jars me right out of what I was enjoying and makes me have to reset my mental placing to try and get back into that group. And again, just it jumps around so much that I'm just like, can we just focus on one place? Like, I think there's one chapter in here. There's one chapter that's only like three or four, like three pages long that actually stays in the Abbey. And even then he cuts between like three different points of views within the Abbey. And she's like, Brian, focus, man, please. It's like, sir, I know that I have really bad ADHD. Do you have really bad ADHD? Um, but like the first two books weren't like this. That's the thing is that the first two books, Burks, 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 Anyway, uh, <laughs> the first two books weren't like this. And I know later books aren't like this as well, because like, I'm excited to move on to other books. Like I know there are other books that I am going to enjoy reading. In fact, I'm excited to read Mariel of Redwall because I haven't read that one before. And I'm excited to see what it is, you know, with an ostensibly, it will have a female lead as well. So yeah, I'm Mariel excited. of Redwall is super good. Yeah. So it's just like, all right, I did it. I, we've done it. We're going to do this recording. And I'm actually like, and like, I'm energized because it's like, this is it. This is the last recording for this book. We do this. We're done. We can move on to the actual, like, we can move on to books that I haven't read and or books that I enjoy now. So I've done my homework. I've done the one book that I'm kind of meh. So yeah, we've done the book that I don't remember at fucking all. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that like, I remember a lot more people dying in this book than actually do die or like named characters who die. Um, I think I was having like Izzy, how you were confused with, um, uh, moss flower, moss flower. Yeah. Yeah. No. I confused yeah, parts flower. of Redwall and moss flower together. Right. And I think this was me confusing Redwall with Matameo because I was like, I swear there were more people who died down in Malcharis than actually died. Um, cause like, I was sure. I mean, a lot of, a lot of creatures died, but you know. But the like named hero creatures is what I mean. Like I was sure that Sir Henry was going to, Henry, no, Harry, Sir Harry was going to eat it, but no, they just kind of gently scooted him away. Um, very neatly. I, I think Brian gets tired of writing his rhymes, so he finds excuses to gently nudge him out of the story and get him <laughs> out of the way. All right, but yeah. yeah. And what about you, Izzy? What is your fun fact for the audience today? So you guys all know that I procrastinate reading these 
till like the day before because otherwise I'm not going to remember any of my thoughts about it because I got the tism and I got the ADHD. Um, but last night it was worse <laughs> than normal because I drink alcohol. <laughs> and so I was tipsy while finishing reading this book. It was very fun and the watching note that Lizzie I put... making their notes. <laughs> <laughs> the note that I put at the beginning of the document was, fun fact for the audience, I read this while tipsy, so if my comments are weirder than normal, it's because alcohol, finger guns. I literally wrote finger guns. <laughs> yes, and now, th now that we've got some of that sillies out of the way. <laughs> so, today we're reading uh, part three of Madame Mayo, Malchoris, which is from chapters 38 through 55. Uh, content warning for severe facial scarring, kidnapping and enslavement, character death, claustrophobic conditions, birds, confined spaces, underground spaces, and uh, pretty severe bodily harm, really. Yeah, not just that, but like, I guess body horror too with Malchoris, because him yeah, old body and gross. Horror. Jesus. Gross, um, gross, old, gross old man. Um, war crimes. War crimes. <laughs> so many war crimes. War crimes. Alright, so we open on the rescuers having a rather meager meal overlooking the gorge. Jabez laments the impossibility of crossing, Basil laments the fact that there's likely fresh plants and water, and Cheek tells him to please stop that, he needs more water than some old twig of a hair. While they're all doing that, Jess is looking over the gorge thoughtfully, and she asks if Sir Harry could fly down to see if the remains of the bridge are at the bottom of the gorge, and he agrees to do so. While he does, uh, Jess borrows Orlando's axe and some rope from Logalog. Sir Harry reports that the bridge isn't too far down, and it's caught on an edge. It also has all of its slats intact. Yeah. Because I guess when it fell, it stopped burning. I, I, like, I'm guessing, like, it just, when something's falling like that, the wind probably put it out, and or when it hit against the wall, it was just, the ropes probably didn't burn very well, depending on what they were made from. Because sometimes, yeah. depending on a, what a rope is made from, it doesn't burn well. Also, a quick drop like that, you know. Poof. Yeah. And so, eh. Jess asks if he can get her one of the long ropes and if he needed a knife. Uh, possibly offended, he swoops down to do so without a knife. He's, he's, he's like, what need of a blade have I? No sword or knife do I seek. I am monarch of the sky with fearsome talon and, talon and beak. And I made a little small snarky note of like, sir, are your beaks and talons really that sharp? Because like, I know, like, I do know that hawk, eagle, and owl talons are incredibly sharp and good at puncturing. But it's just like the idea of him like slicing through it just kind of amused me. It's less slicing and more like tearing. Yeah. So I think like it would be able to like get purchase and tear through it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> Ugh, my throat. He's okay. Yeah. So, Slagger, we, we swap to Slagger, and he's leading the group through, uh, honestly, very pleasant, like, country. Uh, it seems like at one point it was cultivated. There's, like, what looks to be old terraces, like, straight stones that were definitely placed by people, like, head shrubs and, like, trees uh, that are, like, placed in a way that's very purposeful um but it's like overgrown now and like there's no tess wonders why there are no birds singing that is odd like they never they never explain why there are no birds or insects um although i think they mention butterflies later in the book but like there it, it i do find it really weird that there are no birds up here um Possibly because um, they get like shot. Oh, the oh, it's true. The area is overhunted. That's what it is. Because mm -hmm. I make a comment. I make a little snarky comment about this later. Of like, where are they getting the food to feed this endless horde? You know. Yeah. Um, so the area is probably overhunted. Like even down to the insects, and that's why it's so quiet. But I also make another note that I love the juxtaposition between. 
Like, you know, earlier we had the spooky forest with the evil cannibals and the, and the skeletons. But you know what would scare me more than just like a spooky forest? Someplace like this. Yeah, someplace that was lived in, someplace that was clearly tended to, but it's empty now. But it's like, but why is it empty when this place clearly is still like a good place to live? Like there's still good resources here. Why is it like this? That's scarier to me than any spooky old forest. Cause like what happened here to make people leave when it is clearly such a good place to still be? I mean, like we know what happened, a plague and then a bunch of rats moved in, but the kids don't know. Yeah. They don't know where they are. And that might also be uh, another reason why there aren't any birds. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not necessarily because the plague is still there, but there could be in that part of the world, like, near it. Because they're in, like, it's stated, like, none of the people from, like, Mossflower have ever been here before. Mm -hmm. And it could be that they're, like, the birds just know that there was and still is death here. Yeah, like, this is a bad place. You don't want to be there. Yeah. Um... So, uh, nothing is making a sound, and when the kids start talking too much, uh, Slacker barks at them to keep quiet, or they'll be dead by nightfall. Vich speeds up nervously and gets cuffed for passing the bad-tempered Slagar. Uh, back with the rescuers, Jess's plan is revealed to be a zipline. Uh, with one end of the rope tied to Orlando's axe and the other half secured to the other side of the ravine, they can go across one by one. Orlando will go second to last, and Jess will go last, swinging across with his axe on her back. And it's... Uh, It goes pretty well, Uh, with only Orlando needing help to get across, because he gets stuck in the middle. Which is a very, very funny scene, because they have to, like jump on the like end of the rope to get him moving yeah. so he's just kind of like scoot 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 and then Which, they have like, to like grab him and drag him the rest of the way like i know his axes but like this further like cements my thing that like the animals are roughly like proper animal size so like he is literally a giant compared to them but um but they never mention the gorge like the first impression we get of the the rope bridge and the gorge is that these two halves are like on pretty equal height. So like even though she uses his axe to get some height, it's like I still don't think there would be enough for a zip line to get them across as fast as it implies they do. Like it's it just could like be that um, Sir Harry secured the end of the zip line like down uh, like just below the edge. But, but when Martin lands, he has to lift his tail to not skid along the earth. Oh, well, then I don't know. Yeah, it's just, this is Brian, like, don't think about it too hard, basically. <laughs> and I'm calling you out on it, sir. Um, I am thinking about this too hard. Then again, this is our job. But anyway, <laughs> yes, it is a very good scene of, I just, I love the little bit of levity of him having to be gently bounced across. Yeah, and then we get a very, very, like, kind of badass bit of Jess swinging across, like, the the gorge really easily. Mm-hmm. Like, she just swings across, like, Indiana Jones' ass, just zoop! Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, gives Orlando's axe back to him. Uh, she calls it a hatchet. A clumping uh, great hatchet. <laughs> And he teasingly threatens to leave it strapped to her back. It's very good. What? <laughs> Sorry, no, I just, I noticed that Axe was, like, underlined with a red line. Oh, Google Google is having a hissy fit that I'm writing it, like, the British way with the E. Instead of, like, in the US, usually it's, it's AX, supposedly. But I've always I've never spelled, it, A-X-E. spelled it that way. What the fuck? Yeah, like I've always spelled it A X E. But then again, I also grew up reading a lot of books Brit- written by British people, so maybe. But also, that's like even book. books written by like Americans, yeah. like I've seen it spelled A X E. I've yeah never seen anybody call like spell axe just A X unless if they're talking about the Andalite. Well, I have seen it spelled just A X, but it's not as popular. I've noticed like A X E to me is definitely the more popular spelling of axe. Um, 
but Google just hates, hates that I ignore it. They're like, why are you spelling it like this? It's like, because it looks right. It looks better. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess I understand why it's just AX because like the printing press to save like money. Yeah. Dropped extra like vowels on things. Actually, yeah. Fun fact for those of you who don't know. That is why a lot of American words drop extra vowels, like why our color doesn't have the U. Or favorite. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it was literally to save money on and time, not, not just money, but time as well, when they were using the printing presses. Also, yeah. they were superfluous and we didn't need them anymore, so, yeah. <laughs> I still spell both of, like, both of those words with U's. Eh, that's fair. Again, we read a lot of books written by British people and yeah. Canadians. So, once at the oasis, they drink, they clean themselves, and they gorge on the bounty around the water. Lagalag reports that he's found the trail, and there's no obstacle ahead until they reach the badger and the bell, which are two large stones that they can see in the distance. Also, I make a comment <laughs> because Yabez says, taint natural, Bathan, otherwise we'd all have been born fishes. And my tipsy self immediately equated that with Yavez being an anti-masker because one of their arguments is if we were meant to be wearing masks, we would have been born that way. Sure. I haven't <laughs> heard that responded one. responded that he doesn't deserve this slander, but he is one of those disgusting men who doesn't wash after taking a pee. Listen, uh, my my the, the listeners who have the pingies... If you pee, if you are in the bathroom and you pee, it does not matter if you don't touch the member. There is still, you need to wash your hands. I don't care. You also need to wipe yourself. Yes. I don't care how clean you think it is. I don't know why you think that your urine is magically cleaner than a woman's urine. Or that your member is magically cleaner. Or, I'm sorry, not women's, but a, you know, you know. Um, Everybody, when you go to the bathroom. Wash your goddamn wash hands. Wash your hands. I am a jan- I am a janitor, and I, let me tell you, every night I go to work, I clean every single door handle with my gloves on before I touch anything else, because that workplace is mostly populated by men. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash, wash your motherfucking your hands. hands, please. Especially right now, like, Jesus. Oh my god. I, like, whenever my uncle comes to visit- This is how people I- get sick. Yes! When my uncle comes to visit, like the first time he came to visit us, I realized he went to the bathroom and I he did not wash his hands. I heard it. And I said, you wash your hands right now. And he goes, Woo! I said, you wash your hands. You are in our house. You are using my bathroom. You wash your hands. And every time he leaves, I always clean the door handles too. It's just like, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, gross. Anyway. Nasty, nasty man. <laughs> wash your hands. <laughs> wash your fucking hands. So. Uh, before we move on to the next bit, I have to make a comment about this. Something happened. Something happened maybe halfway through this book where the chapter art changes. It gets really good. It gets really kind of cartoony in a fun way. Like, not like Animaniacs level cartoony, but it goes from being like this Uh, attempt at like realism. mm Mm-hmm. And to almost the uncanny something... valley too. With like, remember, like my reaction to the terrible, d- terrifying child, mouse. Yeah, like, like okay. I just flipped to chapter eight, which is the first time we see uh, uh, Nadaz, right? Yeah, and he looks like a rat. Like his eyes are unsettling to look at, but he looks like a rat. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I flip. Uh, partway through, let's see, a chapter. Nope, not that one. That one has the bird. That one also has a bird. The birds never look toony, is the no. thing. Bird, birds don't get to be cartoony. Well, no. like, chapter 32, when I was joking about how, like, the shrew is definitely dead, falling into the water. And it, look, it's got, like, a proper shrew-shaped head. Yeah, or, like, uh, chapter 38, which is the first chapter of this set, which has a shrew going across the zip line. Mm-hmm. Like, it is super cartoony compared to every, like, the the beginning of the book. I like and it, though, because I, don't, I like but it. But it's, you, yeah, and you can tell, also, this is still the same artist. Mm-hmm. I feel like and they were like, finally allowed to, like, hit their stride or just, like, go. Yeah. 
Or, or these were done over the course of like a year. Mm, that's quite likely. Yeah. As we you know, will when know. like, yeah. But also, like, even on chapter 32, this is still more realistic than the shrew in chapter 38. Mm-hmm. Like, hold on, let me... I, I, I now, as an artist, need to, like, figure this out. <laughs> well, hey, if the artist ever does listen to us, would you drop us a line on Twitter and let us know what happened? <laughs> yeah, please, God. Because, like, now I'm, I'm trying to see... Page-turning sounds... Here's your ASMR for the day. Me very, like, aggressively turning pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah! No, okay, it's not- It is literally just this last part of the book that this happens. Maybe it's to help counteract the fact that we're getting into, like, the heavy fighting... Or the timeline over which these were drawn as the book was being written. Yeah. Um, Because, again, you can still tell this is the same artist because a lot of the, um, like, the stylistic choices, a lot of the way that it's, like, shaded, the way the birds are drawn, any, like, uh, chapter art that's just a piece of scenery, Mm -hmm. it's the same. So it's the same artist. It's just something changed where they stopped doing, like, some, like, so realistic or unsettling. Thinks about the first time we see Madame Mayo in a chapter incredibly upsetting yes incredibly upsetting child face and again if the artist ever does listen to this we understand we are also artists ourselves and please do not take this criticism as an attack on you it's just part of like you you know you know you're an artist you get it i hope um (laughs) we're also you know we're we're critically looking at these books and the chapter art is a very Mm -hmm. important part of these books if mm-hmm. a copy of these books does not have the chapter art, that is a wrong copy. I I have some of those. So. I know you do, and that's not your fault. Yeah. Anyway. We need to replace them with the ones with the chapter art. Honestly, Let's... the chapter art is always good. Yeah. Just sometimes it's unsettling to look at. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you made a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Might not have been the right one. Um. So, now that we've talked about that, we are now back at Redwall. In Redwall... Ironbeak tries to spring his trap. The attempted theft of the tapestry, though, is very quickly spotted, and the Redwallers rally to defend it. Like, the three magpies are trying to pull it down, and, like, there's absolute chaos as the birds and mammals fight. Constance spots Ironbeak heading for Cavern Hole to cut off their escape route and calls for everyone to retreat. Uh, They make it after a bit more fighting, He follows them down, but javelins and arrows deter the birds. Uh, Constance is enraged at the attempted theft, uh, and Formal suggests that they use the tunnels. Come at them from the main door, grab the tapestry, and book it. They agree it's a good idea, and it is, and split their forces to launch the counter-pincher attack. Pincer? Pincer. 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 You spelled pincer wrong. That's what I autocorrected to. Uh, it works like a dream. Uh, just as the magpies pull the tapestry to the floor, the rescue crew arrives to snatch it away. Like, they roll it up and they just go. Yeah. And then vanish. And they're all like, where the- The birds are like, where the fuck did they go? What the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, the tapestry is happily brought to Cavern Hole. Cornflower has a plan that involves something in her gatehouse. Because she asks Formal, like, do the tunnels go to my gatehouse? And he's like, of course. Why wouldn't I tunnel to your gatehouse? <laughs> and she asks Sister May to help her with it that night. Rolo plays in the tapestry like he rolls himself up in it. <laughs> and when scolded, it's commented that Martin likely enjoys the company after hanging alone for so long. Like, it's a really listen, sweet if there's one thing we moment. know... What? It's a really sweet and warm moment. I like it a it lot. It is. It is a very sweet and warm moment. And if there's one thing we know about Martin, it's that he would definitely be very amused by this. Oh, yes. <laughs> 100%. He would love Rolo. Oh, absolutely. Um, Iron Beak is furious. There's a moment in here, like, this is actually technically a little bit after... Uh, it's, like, in the text, but they say that Ironbeak has a yellow beak. 
Yeah. And did I miss something? And ravens have yellow beaks now? Uh, let me see. They shouldn't. No, they should have black beaks. Yeah. Let me, is there a type of raven with Nope, a they're yellow... black. Although, oh, he's from the north, though. Remember, he's from, well, northern ravens in the UK still have black beaks. So there is a corvid that has a yellow beak, and it's the alpine cho? Mm-hmm. Or the yellow-billed cho, which is a bird in the crow family. Where is it from? It's from Spain. Mm, that's not, yeah. Spain is not <laughs> north of England. Uh, okay, so it's it's from Spain eastwards through southern Europe and North Africa to Central Asia and Nepal. Mm -hmm. And it may nest at a higher altitude than any other bird. The eggs have adaptions to thin atmospheres that improve oxygen take-up and reduce water loss. Mm -hmm. One of the photos they have is from a subspecies in Switzerland. Let's see. But there is none in the UK. Absolutely none in their range. Let's see. Where do you see the, <laughs> the yellow beak bit, though? Oh, let me... Like, there's a line of, like, he... He has Quickbill up against the wall, and he fells him with a sharp blow from his heavy beak. But I didn't see anything about a yellow beak. Uh, you might have yeah. misread The fuming iron beak. So this is when they were halfway across the Great Hall when the main door slammed and the tapestry rescue party were gone. Ah. The fuming iron beak laid about with his hard yellow beak. Ah. Useless, stupid blunderers, worthless, clumping idiots. Where are those chicken-hearted magpies? Quick, Bill, take those blockhead brothers of yours outside and see where the earth crawlers have got to. So he has a yellow beak, and I'm like, ravens don't have yellow beaks, Brian. Hmm. That is like the one like that is one of the things about ravens is they don't have yellow beaks. They don't. They have black beaks. Oh well. Is he? What the fuck? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm oh. looking. I'm still trying to figure out. Listen, we can move on. The yellow beak is not what? important right now. Oh, this all this shit's in America. I'm sorry, everyone. Is Birds. It? Birds are a thing. Yes. But. <laughs> I've lost them, everyone. Seer, Argon. I'm sorry. I want to know. <laughs> I wanna know. Can you show, Can you show me? me? <laughs> I wanna know. Disney. Disney's gonna fucking demonetize us. Disney will never find us. I guess maybe it's just kind of based on how, like, cartoons will draw ravens with yellow beaks. Probably. It's it's like. I guess they were drawing. Like, I guess. That version of the raven is based on the alpine cho because it's also got like the yellow feet. Mm hmm. Whereas ravens are just all black. Right. Why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just now have also just seen a photo of a rook, and I don't think I've ever seen a photo of a rook before. They're really they cute. They have scary faces. Aw, I think they're cute. <laughs> God, okay. Sorry. In the weeds. <laughs> Just yeeted yourself into the weeds with glee. Yep. Listen, last night I was very confused, but didn't have the wherewithal to Google it. <laughs> Besides, everybody loves our tangents. It's fine. Okay. So... Ironbeak is furious. The three magpies and mangies failed to find the tunnel openings. He bullies the magpies and mocks mangies for still having a clouded inner eye. He dismisses uh, dismisses him, saying he will do his own thinking now. 
Before anything else can happen, though, they hear the sound of sparrows and launch an attack. Five, the five sparrows flee and one is caught and killed, but the remaining four find safe haven in Cavern Hole among their friends. Just, God. Only yeah, four. This, Only yeah. four out of the entire flock. These birds have experienced a genocide. Yeah, the sparrows share the news of their journey. Of the whole flock, only these four remain. Like, they literally, almost every sparrow warrior who went to help, like, Martin and co. Not Martin. Jesus. Take a shot. (laughs) Matthias and co. died in that fight with that rat horde. And then all of the elderly sparrow and the nestlings were killed. Mm Mm-hmm. So they've lost so much culture. It's it's all gone. Like their stories, their people, their 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 home, it's gone. It's empty. Like just this really upsets me. It genuinely upsets me. It is upsetting, especially like with how blase they kind of treat it a little bit like later on in the book, like at the end. Yeah, like, oh don't worry, their their colony is revived They're and fine. doing really good. It's like they had four sparrows. Yeah, like they had four sparrows, like did some of them escape into the forest and were just hiding? Or maybe they just recruited new sparrows from around. Because, like, maybe. I mean, like, there's got to be other sparrow flocks out there, but. Still. It's still it's extremely just upsetting. very blase. Yeah. So, finally, the sparrows share the news that the invaders uh, are, haunt- are haunted. Finally, the sparrows share the news that the invaders are haunted by Martin, which cheers Cornflower quite a bit. It will aid in her plan, which she now explains to her fellows. Um, in the Great Hall, Mangies worries about the sparrows. Ironbeak scolds him once more and dismisses him. Which, you know what, now Amber's in retrospect like, feels odd, because like he was so careful to not attack until the sparrows were gone. Now he's just like, oh, they're just sparrows. What are you freaking out about? That's something that happens to a lot of the villains, like, in this last third of the book. Like, they're so good and so wary and canny in the first two halves. And now it's like, they're just like, no, we're, all of a sudden we are arrogant and, frankly, acting quite stupid. Um, because we're plot. motherfuckers. Yeah. Cow, Cocky? Cocky? Cow? What are you trying to? What C- pun are you trying C- to C- make? C A W cocky, cocky. Oh, cocky! <laughs> you love me. I do, but fuck off. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Sorry, had to yawn. That's okay. Ambrose, Spike, and Brother Dan go about carving a wooden sword. Dan gets a bit snooty over his better memory, only to be soundly rebuffed by Ambrose. He remembers plenty. Thank you. Basically, what he does is he starts pointing, because they're down in the cellars, he starts pointing at different barrels and being like, I have to do this with that one. I have to do this with that one. I have to remember to do this with that one. That one needs this done. So, I have to remember quite enough. Thank you. Yeah, basically, like, I I snark about him being an alcoholic, but he is a very functional alcoholic. And, you know, like anyone, he has his pride and he does have things that he does well. And he is justified in defending himself from this little snoot. Yeah, and, and like... (laughs) Oh, God, I hear it again. You had coffee. Come on. I need to stop... And listen, I drank all my coffee. I don't know what's up. <laughs> the coffee. Anyway, like, I get it. Like, last night, I guess I, I that's worded, like, the worst way I could have done it. But um, it's like uh, when you've got, like, ADHD or, like, you're autistic, um, the things that you like, you remember everything about. Mm-hmm. Everything else, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. And you know what? Brewing, brewing especially back then, brewing back then and even now, that is a craft. That is a legitimate art form in and of itself. 
It's yeah. just like cooking and baking. You have to know the how, the why, and the when. And it has been developed over hundreds of thousands of years. One of the first things that humans ever made was like bread and beer. We like yep. our stuff that involves yeast, evidently. Um, we really do. Because yeast is really easy. It is. It's like, it's just, it's in the air. It's like, hello, you give me a place to live. I will provide you with food. It's like, yes, good. We Humans are good at like finding things that will tolerate us and then give us food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or making them tolerate us and give us food. Yes. <laughs> I give you a warm shelter. You give me sustenance. Um. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in the gatehouse, Cornflower takes her husband's armor and gets dressed. The plan is revealed. She is going to pass herself as the ghost of Martin to scare the birds. See, this is why I love Cornflower so much. Like, again, like, I know I've repeated this several times, but when we started reading... Redwall, I was so confused why you hated her because I remember this cornflower. This is a cornflower who is smart. She's proactive. She's ready to like throw down to protect her people and her home. And just she is good. And I mentioned in one of the earlier recordings how like now that I understand how bad she is in Redwall, that this like turnabout to her being like really competent is a surprise, but like a good one. And... I lamented how she had to become a mother to be viewed as a person and not just, oh, you're going to marry Matthias. Um, But I also appreciate any fantasy story that allows a mother, like an older woman, a mother, a matron, to be part of the action and part of the story in a proactive way. Because so often you don't see these stories um where you know women aren't like once a woman hits like 30 or 40 she's not allowed to be in the story anymore she's a background supporting character no here she is getting out there and doing stuff without prompting you know this book more than passes a lot of like is it good for the ladies tests just because of cornflower uh constance and mrs churchmouse alone and Sister May. And Sister... Oh, Sister May. I love her so much. I think she's, like, my new... Like, one of my new favorite Redwall characters. She is so good. Sister May is so good. Um, I... <laughs> my tipsy state made a comment that I like uh, My Hero Academia, for the listeners. And I was How like, Inko Midoriya and Cornflower <laughs> Mouse should be friends. And I stand by this. <laughs> In the former gardens, the rescuers stop to eat and ponder their next steps. (laughs) Basil sneezing at time. There's a pun or a joke here. I can feel it. And I said, watch, we're going to put this episode out and Ben will have one ready to go. So, Ben, if you don't have a pun for us, I'm going to be disappointed. (laughs) Come on, Ben. Don't leave us hanging. Don't leave us hanging. (laughs) So Sir Harry tries to be noble in the face of ominous words, only to be deflated by an oblivious Basil. (laughs) Because they're they're pondering over the uh, the the riddle, mm-hmm. and Sir Harry is being like very pompous himself. It's it, it's a very he's, cute he's being sort of a pom- bard. It, it, it's a good sort of pompeity. Um, here it is: dread words do not alarm me. When food is on its way, no parchment threat can harm me. Lead on, lead on, I say. Basil then- gobbled a lettuce leaf. Well spoken, me old feather face. I feel exactly the same. I can face death after dinner any time. Only thing bothers me is that I might miss tea and supper. What? Robbed of his noble moment, the owl glared at ba- Basil and stalked off. <laughs> Sir Harry just does not like Basil. No, the two don't like each other at all. And you know you know what it is, right? It's two old white men butting heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, is. like two old. This is, this is J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. <gasps> oh, that's it! <laughs> yes. Okay, but Lewis. <laughs> we know Lewis just fucked with Tolkien because Tolkien would get so angry. Like, I, I do that to some of my friends sometimes when they start to get a little too. Tolkien, you can't have a, a, a street lamp in. In your fantasy world, C.S. Lewis, watch me, bitch. Yeah, you can't, you can't have Father Christmas handing out presents to talking beavers and a fawn. 
Also, they fight alongside Greek gods sometimes, because why not? <laughs> yeah, why the fuck not? God, I love it. Anyway, dinner is interrupted by a wispy old rabbit who proclaims doom and ill tidings. He ignores offered food, keeping up his weary mutterings. When asked what he knew of the badger and bell, he repeats, death and doom. When the poor addled old hare finally stands again, he goes to Matthias to give him an old grass bracelet with a carved stone mouse, possibly as a thank you for a sack Matthias like wrapped around his shoulders. He wanders off and Matthias says to let him go. He loops the bracelet around his sword belt. He's a very sad old character. And I thought he was a ghost. You know what? I like that, though, because, like, he appears only once or twice more, I think. Like, he appears when they find the, the spoilers, but he appears when they find the dead slavers and mutters that, oh, the masked one has been here, mutter, mutter, death, doom, wanders off again. And then we don't see him again after that. He just disappears. Like, literally, he just disappears. We never get an explanation what happened to him. We never hear where he goes. He just, he's gone. And I kind of like the idea that he's a ghost because it makes it less sad that way than the thought that he just wandered off and died by himself somewhere. Like, it could be that if he's not a ghost, like, he was, like, taken out and left for dead. Mm -hmm. Or he escaped and has just been living off the land being real careful. Mm -hmm. or, or it's a case that he was someone who lived there and has seen the rise of the kingdom of Malcharis, And that's part of what traumatized him. Like he probably couldn't leave because of the rats. But, you know, there's a lot yeah. of things. We, he just, he never gets explained. We never get a name. We never get an explanation. He's just there to occasionally. I actually. That's why. He's a ghost. Yeah. I honestly did consider doing the Deus Ex joke for him for a minute, but I decided, you know what? No, he comes back a few times, but he doesn't impact the story that heavily. So he doesn't deserve that. I like him. He, he doesn't deserve that level of flippancy. Yeah. he. Yes, that's what it is. He's much too serious and sad of a character to be flippantly written off like that. Like, he's yeah. odd. He comes out of nowhere and then disappears into nowhere. But I like him. I think it's a, a neat little narrative tool. Heck, if he was missing an eye, I'd make a crack about him being an Odinic wanderer, but he's not, so. <laughs> Here's a fun fact for you guys, though. If you're reading mythology and some old fellow shows up and he doesn't have an eye, that is probably Odin, depending on, if it's Norse mythology, anyway. Um, yeah. And the term Odinic yeah. wanderer is because of that, because Odin just liked to go wander around disguised as an old man just to mess with mortals, because he'd get bored, I guess, like most gods would. Uh, Odin and Loki both. Yeah. Um, cause Loki would like. Loki's better at hiding you... though. Yeah. And Loki would like offer you like a goat. Yeah. <laughs> Loki, what is it with you and the hooved animals? <laughs> yeah, he'd like try to uh, like offer to like sell or give you a goat. And if you like took it, like he would like, you could take it or not take it. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, eventually he'd just fucking vanish. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Anyway. Do you want this silver axe or this golden axe? <laughs> With the kids, uh, Alma dislikes the mountains they're now camped under. Because now they're underground and they've... They're not They're not underground, underground but they're I'm under the mountain. My brain just skipped way the fuck ahead. Yeah, that's okay. Absolutely not. No. Um... But they're under the mountains. They're under the badger and the bell now. I think. It, yeah. yeah they're Those aren't the mountains. Those are rocks. That's why you confused me. Sorry. Well, they're like, she it's just a mountainous. The... Oh, that's not a mountainous area, though. Oh, I know what confused me, though. The area they're in is very hilly is what it is. That's why I just. Yes. I, just, I kept imagining the badger and the bell as like big, like big rocks, like mount, like at least like hill size. But I guess they aren't that big. Like for some reason, my brain was making them bigger than they were. <laughs> yeah they're just really big rocks and amas like i don't like them uh and then the kids are told what? to hush or maybe something like a cinder block is better oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um told to hush the kids lay down and act quiet three claws a weasel asks slagger where they're going after all this Slagger deflects, turning the subject to loyalty, and how he trusts Three Claws more than anyone else. He'll be gone for a couple days, 
and needs someone to watch the group. And when it's all over, someone to help him hold wealth and power. Three Claws is easily taken in, strutting off to keep a better eye on the camp. Slagger calls him a fool behind his back. And at this point in the book, I did absolutely think that Slagger was going to sell his men into slavery. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, though. Like, I, we, we, we both make a note on this later. I am still extremely shocked that he didn't and that they didn't take them. Like, we'll, we'll talk about this more when we get to that part. But it's a very fair assumption to make. Yeah, 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 because that's definitely something that Slagger would do. Yeah, he has no loyalty to anyone but himself. Exactly. Slagger now says the same thing, basically, to Halftail, with the added warning to watch out for Three Claws, who's getting much too full of himself. And finally, he tells Vich that he will go with Slagger to take the captives to their final destination. He also asks him to alert the others to duplicity. Three Claws and Halftail are not to be trusted, and Vich is more than happy to do so. He is just like, absolutely, fuck yes, oh my god, the boss trusts me. Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 I noticed like in the latter halves of his books, um, Brian really relies on the villains and their mooks uh, grasping the idiot ball quite soundly. Because... Previously, like this is less slagger grasping the idiot ball. It is definitely like the mooks. the mooks. Yeah, but this is also like very in character for slagger, oh, very. and from what we've seen from the mooks in character. Yeah, and I, because they have trusted slagger this whole time. Yeah, they trust him to to get them rich because we do learn like at the beginning of the book he says he basically brought them out of starvation and being a bunch of like drunkard nobodies um into the band that they are now so it's like he does have that built up trust to play off of and it's implied that they've been together for at least a couple of seasons at this point which mm-hmm. means this is like a very long game mm-hmm. for slagger and it i there is kind of like a sadistic fun in seeing how well Slagar plays them off each other. Like he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly how to play them to get the results he wants. And there's something really like fun about that. Just seeing, seeing how well he knows his crew and how well he can turn them against each other. It's very clever. It's very interesting to see. It, it is super duper interesting. Mm-hmm. Slagger is a good villain. Very, very well written to us up to a certain point. Up to a certain point. It's, a, it's like, which we'll get to. It's like he gets to a point and then it's just like, well, I need to get him out of the story. Boop. <laughs> Idiot ball. Idiot ball. So shortly afterwards, Slagger is surrounded by silent rats in black ropes. I want to read this section, it's, actually. As I put it in the notes, it's delightfully eerie. It's a very atmospheric and very, very well written. Very cleverly done. I know. I got it. I got it. If people take a shot every time I say very well written, they're going to be drunk before we're half and a, halfway through an episode. Um, it's on page right. 309 for my copy. It's 319 for me. Jeez. (laughs) Slagger stood quite still, not daring to move a muscle. From out of the surrounding darkness, gray rats had come silently. He was now surrounded by them. There was a vast army of the creatures, each one robed in black and carrying a short stabbing spear with a broad leaf-shaped blade. There was not a single sound from any of them. As well as he could, the cruel one took stock of the situation. The rats encircled the camp. Eyes glimmered in the bushes. Spear blades shone everywhere, around both the tall rocks and in the narrow defile between them. They far outnumbered Stoneflex's horde, which guarded the riverbanks. The masked fox had encountered them before when he had passed this way. He remained unmoving, awaiting a sign. Like, fucking Christ. Very. And and it continues, like, the creatures in front of him parted as a purple-robed rat came towards Slagger. This one did not carry a spear. 
In his paw, he held a white bone scepter surmounted by a mouse skull. The rat spoke no word. The, you have come for the slaves. I was waiting for you, Nadaz, Slagger said, his voice sounding hollow in the silence. The rat called Nadaz shook his scepter. The skull rattled against its bone handle, and Slagger fell silent. Like, it is just fucking spooky. Very. Like, this is a... a this is the rat's kingdom. This is their territory. This is their environment. And you are just a visitor here. You are at their mercy. Like, yeah. it's tense. It's good and tense. Because as much as, like... It's funny, because Brian has written Slagar in a way that, like... We don't want to see him dead until Matthias, Orlando, or Matameo get a hold of him. It's like, yeah. we don't want to see him dead because we like him as a villain. It's he's good a good writing. villain! And so, like, when he's in danger, it still makes us tense because, like, is he going to get killed? We don't want to see him killed yet. It's not time for him to be killed yet, you know? Yeah. Or, like, how is he going to get himself out of this situation? Yes. And so, that is good. That is good writing right there. Because even if he's a villain that you want to eventually see dead, you don't want them dead until it's the right time. Yeah, like if he had died, like at any other point in the book, it would have felt so hollow. Cheap. Yeah. Very, very cheap. So, Slagger lets Nadaz take the lead. The captives are drugged into a stupor. Like, um... Uh, we get a point of view from uh, Maddie very briefly where he wakes up as the rats are shoving like uh, herbs, like burned herbs and ashes and like stuff like against all of the captives faces mm -hmm. so that they're essentially knocked out. They've, they've chloroformed these kids. This book is very heavy on using like herbs and drugs to knock people out. I just realized that. There's a lot of knocking out in this book. Brian, what is- There's a lot of drugs in this book. Yeah! Like, even with Sister May, like, it's it's not exactly played for last, but even <laughs> Sister May is like- Sister May. She's like, got a problem to solve? I'll drug them. <laughs> she is so <laughs> ready. So, so ready just to I knock somebody her. out. Like, like, hey, you got some asshole? I'll teach you how to roofie him. Um- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she like she she straight up roofies strike later in the book. I can't believe it. Just it's like real oh good. My God. It's very funny. <laughs> uh, Slagger takes Vich, uh, who accidentally wakes up a weasel, uh, who is as soon as he makes a noise is just killed soundlessly by one of the rats. Like, these rats are deathly quiet. Like, they don't freak out, they don't make any noise, it's just the minute something is going the way that it is not supposed to be, silenced. Stabity. They leave the rest of the slavers behind, who are unaware of what's happened, and t tipsy me last night was like, huh, not what I thought was gonna happen. Yeah, again, like- Which- this is yeah, like we didn't think that this is what was gonna happen. We thought that like Sagar was gonna sell his men to slavery, because like if this had been any other book, that absolutely would have fucking happened. Because right, because like even if his men aren't like young, they're still clearly like strong and able-bodied enough to be useful. And I think the the one thing that I s said was that they were probably they'd probably either be a too stupid to really fall into line be considered too dangerous because they were like fighters and vermin for so much of their life that they would be more expected to be duplicitous compared to woodlander kids or well, see they're like they're just not worth the trouble yeah we're gonna see this later on but i don't know if you noticed the only non-rats in the entirety of malchoris's kingdom that weren't slaves is Malchus. Malchus and the Weeret. Yeah. Yeah. And none of the slaves were any vermin. Yep. They were all woodlander creatures. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely possible that it's just down to sheer like racism. You're probably right, yes. Cause the the vermin are extremely like openly racist towards each other. The minute, like, the minute anything comes to, like, loyalty or, like, blame, they'll be quick to be like, well, you're just a rat and I'm a weasel. And we all know that weasels are smarter than rats, you know. And also, like, probably, um, 
Malchoris, who is a polecat, which as we have learned is a is a mustelid very similar to a ferret. Mm-hmm. Um it probably is just like I don't want any other creatures like me here. Oh, they threaten yeah. they threaten my my superiority. Yeah, I can't like if I'm not a unique idol, what am I then? Like if there's other creatures like me, then my status as the the boss is threatened. Um, With the exception of the Wee Ret, which honestly now at this point I think that the Wee Ret was definitely born from like Malchoris having a tryst. <laughs> Probably. With like a rat. Because like, well, not only is it like a very strange creature, but it holds like a very high position. Like it's probably just below Nada as being the slave master like it is. Yeah. Because um, that's not a low position to have in a terrible kingdom like this. Like that's a position of pretty high responsibility. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I just had to mention that while we were talking about like, why didn't mm-hmm. he take the weasels with him? Or the weasels and the stoats. I don't think there are any ferrets. I think he killed the ferrets. Yeah. The heffalopes and weasels. Because I think, uh, yeah. So, now we are back at Redwall. <laughs> Yet again. This is a new chapter also. Yeah, this this is We're one back. of the chapters that actually stays and focuses on Redwall. That's the one I was talking about earlier. And it's a short one. But it swaps between the Redwallers and the birds. Yeah, but it's still at least in Redwall. Yeah. So two rooks stand night guard in the Great Hall. They complain how it's not as nice like it is in, in the day when the sun warms them. But soon they'll trade shifts and they'll get to sleep on the soft beds in the infirmary. They fucking love the like uh the the beds that the Redwallers have. Like they're so soft. And I'm like, birds don't like beds. But these are <laughs> like birds like to sometimes like nest in dumb things and will like settle down into blankets and stuff, but when it comes to like regularly that's not something that's, like, the most comfortable for them, mm-hmm. especially for, like, birds of prey like this. Because of how they perch, because of how their legs work. Yeah. Like, a pigeon is one thing. Like, pigeons will fucking fall asleep Okay, anywhere. but pigeons are also domesticated. Yes. Yeah. So. And they'll fall asleep anywhere. Like, anyway, chickens will do the same thing. Like, uh, I have no doubt, also, like, if I decided to try and, like, befriend like a starling or a sparrow, they would do the same thing. Yeah, because uh, sparrows because they're just... are practically domesticated in their own right too, just for how long they've been kind around of. humanity. Kind of, and and starlings are also just weirdos. They're they're kind of stupid birds, aren't they? They are actually very very smart. Did you know they can mimic speech? Oh. Okay. Sorry. I yeah. I just... They can mimic speech in much the same way crows can. I say that because like. Last year when I was driving home from California, it seemed like every bird I ran into, or rather ran into me, was a starling. Because there's just so fucking many mm-hmm. of them. Because they, they, are, they are an invasive species. So, like, at first I'd feel really guilty, like, no, I hit a bird! I'd step, I, I'd check, like, at the next gas stop, and it's like, oh, it's a starling. Never mind. <laughs> it's fine. Um, anyway, their musings are interrupted by a ghostly figure drifting across the floor. Because what happens is the front door opens, and they're like, what the fuck? Like, whomst? How? Yeah, and they see, like, they're like, a sh- they're like, did you see a shadow? Like, no, it's just dark. And then the door opens, and then there's this ghostly figure. The mouse from the tapestry! <laughs> Said figure raises a sword and declares in a booming voice that death comes for them if they do not leave Redwall. And the rooks just freak the fuck out. They are like, nope, 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 nope. Not having this? No, sir. No, thank Not you. Not today, motherfucker. <laughs> Goodbye. They awaken Ironbeak, who buffets them into silence and follows the terrified birds to their lookout. They tell their story, and Ironbeak is less than impressed. Uh, Kit made a comment about how, like, he slips into his vermin-speak accent with the two rooks. Because, mm-hmm. like, from but previously in the books, like, they were definitely speaking... I'm not wrong, right? They were definitely speaking in their own accents. Like, a northern kind of bird yeah. accent. And then, all of a sudden, they start talking, like, the general vermin talk. 
Like, well, Chief, me and Grubclaw were standing right here on sentry. We weren't sleeping, oh no, we were wide awake. Then I says to him, what's that moving down there? And he says to me, it's only shadows. When we were looking, when we looked again, there was a mouse, just like the warrior mouse in the big cloth, except this one had no face. It waved a sword at us, a big long sword, and it said, Death comes to you if you stay in Redwall. That ghost spoke in a voice like no mouse. It was like thunder over the Northland Mountains. It was like, none of them have spoken like that through the entire book. And then again, none of the mooks have been given that much time to talk. But none of them have spoken like that through the entire book. And like, that's straight up just how he writes the vermin the regular mammalian vermin and it's like it, it jarred me out of the moment like this isn't how they've been talking up until now why do they suddenly have such a huge shift in how they talk he only knows how to write two bad guys smart and stupid mm -hmm. and if he tries to write the stupid ones for longer than two seconds they turn into vermin mm -hmm. Yeah. At least in this book. It might get better in other books. I don't remember. I get a feeling it does. Because again... I don't remember. I, I, it's like I am willing to give some leeway in that like we're still dealing with like some of the early book weirdness so you can already tell he is ironing a lot of stuff out. Um, yeah. Yes. So Iron Beak is less than impressed with their story, obviously. He sees no ghost. Uh, he even goes so far as to challenge the ghost openly. But he gets no response. Uh, and then, Mangus undermines his words with one question. Who opened the big door? Which is a, you know, not a bad question to ask. Why is the front door open? Yeah, but like at this point, Iron Beak is no also... longer a general. He's a petty tyrant. So. Yeah. He was probably always a petty tyrant. Yeah, but there's a difference. Like, there is a difference between like a general and who like works with their men even if they order their men around and someone who's just like i am the boss you do not question me yeah he's probably super stressed out because one they're birds indoors mm -hmm. and two he thought this would be easy and it's turning out to be much more difficult than he thought it would like, be ugh, i actually have to put in effort ugh yep once back in the infirmary iron beak strikes mangas for the first time ever scolding him for this he attacks the crow as punishment Basically, like, you shouldn't have said anything, you stupid bitch. Yeah, and poor Mangus is like, what, what, what's happening? I'm just, I'm imagining, like, when you accidentally, like, step on your dog's paw and they give you that look of, like, utter betrayal and you're just like, no, I didn't mean it. I'm Except so Iron Beak doesn't go no. Yeah. Because he's a terrible person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in Cavern Hole, Cornflower is lauded with ghost puns mm. and good soup. Constance is asked to do her ghost voice again, and the poor rooks are shaken by the distant noise of it. Yeah, there's um, uh, Ambrose Spike, who says, try some of this. It'll help keep your spirits up. <laughs> to which Constance says, oh, ha ha, oh dear. I must say you looked hauntingly beautiful in your armor tonight. And then poor sister May unintentionally says, I'm glad it worked. It goes to show what can happen from, or what, it goes to show you what can happen from the ghost of an idea. Oh, dear! And then they all just start laughing. It's very cute. I just, I love Sister Bay. But so also, much. the fucking puns. <laughs> you know I like this part. <laughs> You're such a goofball. I've got my brand. All right. My brand. Your brand. <laughs> Brian has your brand. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye!